The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. A very warm welcome to this midweek edition of Scorebox. These are your headlines. President Biden laying out his blueprint for a second term in his State of the Union address as he slams big business, takes aim at China and touts his economic agenda. We're a better position than any country on earth right now, but we have more to do. But here at home, inflation is coming down. Here at home, gas prices are down $1.50 from their peak. Food inflation is coming down, not fast enough, but coming down. Inflation has fallen every month for the last six months. The dollar pulling back and Treasury yields rising after Fed Chair Jerome Powell, funnily enough, stuck to his playbook, promising further rate hikes if the data doesn't cooperate, despite some progress on inflation. The disinflationary process, the process of getting inflation down, has begun, and it's begun in the goods sector, which is about a quarter of our economy. But it has a long way to go. These are the very early stages of disinflation. SoftGen fourth quarter net income slumps 35% but still beats expectations. We'll speak exclusively with the French lender's CEO, Frédéric Udea. That's at 7.30 CET. Volkswagen reporting a rise in full-year sales and profit despite overall weakness in deliveries. The German auto giant also showing strength in its earnings margin. French and German economy ministers come away from talks on the Inflation Reduction Act with little tangible progress. Meanwhile, the WTO's Director General tells CNBC she hopes to avoid a clash. There are many countries that don't have the fiscal space to participate in this race. So uh, this is something we hope uh, we can get away from. And hopefully the US and the EU will be talking to each other and other countries that are concerned by the IRA. So, very good morning, everybody. Let's kick off then with uh, Joe Biden's speech. The U.S. president called on Republicans to help him, quote, finish the job in his first State of the Union address to the newly uh, opposition-controlled House of Representatives. In what was a 73-minute speech, Biden fielded heckling from Republicans as he set out a call for unity amid a spiraling national debt and languishing approval ratings. Biden touted the economic achievements of his presidency so far as attention turns to next year's re-election campaign. The 3.4%, a 50-year low. For too many decades, we imported projects and exported jobs. Now, thanks to what you've all done, we're exporting American products and creating American jobs. Inflation has been a global problem because the pandemic disrupted our supply chains and Putin's unfair and brutal war in Ukraine disrupted energy supplies as well as food supplies blocking all that grain in Ukraine. But we're better positioned than any country on Earth right now. But we have more to do. But here at home, inflation is coming down. Here at home, gas prices are down $1.50 from their peak. Food inflation is coming down. Not fast enough, but coming down. Inflation has fallen every month for the last six months.
Uh, Biden put big oil in the crosshairs after a raft of record earnings figures and proposed raising the tax on corporate buybacks to 4%. Last year they made $200 billion in the midst of a global energy crisis. I think it's outrageous. Why? They invested too little of that profit to increase domestic production. And when I talk to a couple of them, they say, we're afraid you're going to shut down all the oil wells and all the uh, oil refineries anyway, so why should we invest in them? I said, we're going to need oil for at least another decade. And that's going to exceed. <laughs> and beyond that, we're going to need it. They use the record profits to buy back their own stock, rewarding the CEOs and shareholders. Corporations ought to do the right thing. That's why I propose we quadruple the tax on corporate stock buybacks and encourage long, long-term investments. President Biden there. Well, everybody loves a bit of a takeaway, don't they? So we've got five of them, five key takeaways from Biden's speech on our website. Go to that article on cnbc.com. With Gail Allard, who is the Associate Professor for Economics at IE. Gail, thank you very much for joining us. It felt as though this was a politically charged address to the nation. As Joe Biden set out his agenda, he spoke about unity, economic record, but also taking aim at big oil. What did you think was significant about this speech? Well, it sounded like a man launching his his campaign. He kept repeating, let's finish the job. We're just getting started um, you know, he, t- he talked a lot about what he had done and it was, you know, um, it was quite impressive as you started thinking about, okay, the job market's the best it's been since 1969, the deficit's down, you know, uh, inflation's coming under control. Democracy doesn't seem so threatened as it did two years ago. Um, and he mentioned a figure I had not heard that, um, there had been the creation of 800,000 new manufacturing jobs under his administration. Um, But then he kept saying, we've got more to do. And he talked about expanding the Affordable Care Act, um, not not letting it sundown, not giving an an expiration date, um, making insulin, capping insulin prices for the whole population and allowing Medicare to negotiate prescription prices. You know, these, and then of course his, his billionaire tax and um, more gun control, banning assault weapons. So it was, you know, it was an agenda for a new presidency, basically, that he was setting out. Difficult are the approval ratings at this point, though, as we count down to the next presidential election. I mean, you think 41% was the level we're at on the Reuters IFPOS uh, opinion poll on the back of uh, the closure on Sunday. The presidency, though, if you look at the level of uh, approval, 65% of Americans saying they believe the country is on the wrong track versus 58% a year ago. Is that a challenge for Biden if he has re-election hopes? Yeah, I was looking at his, uh, what the, you know, the net approval ratings where they take the approval and then uh, and then they subtract the percent of people that say he's not doing a good job and he's negative. He's been negative the whole time in net terms. Um, but he's about the same as Trump was at this point in his presidency. He's not uh, nobody else was as bad as Biden at this point in the presidency. That doesn't look good. And I've also read that 58 percent of Democrats and Democrat leading independents want somebody else. You don't want Biden. Uh, I mean, he's 80 already. So, you know, if he won again, he would be 86. Um, So, but it was a good show in Congress. Um, And the Democrats are definitely more united than the Republicans. The Republicans were really, um, you know, kind of gave their own show um, with the heckling and, and they're clearly divided on a lot of things. So, 
depending on who his opponent is, it, it, the polls show that he would win against Trump. But I don't think Trump will probably be the candidate. So although Americans won't vote against a good economy, okay, let me if ask it continues you, this way. Okay, let me ask you about the taxation, because um, there are those who are looking at the uh, increased calls on further taxation on billionaires to tackle the deficit, an increase in taxes on uh, buybacks. I think we've already got 1% that came in from January, but um, attempts to, to increase that and to increase the taxation on the economy uh, or on the business side of the economy at least. Um, is this an anti-business speech? How should we understand this in terms of how business will feel about Biden and the Democrats? Well, this is why that global minimum corporate tax was so important. Um, because if you're going to crack down on corporations, you have to make sure they can't go somewhere else. But he's he was talking mainly about um, you know the billionaire tax would target um, Americans that um, you know with high high incomes. Um, it would force them to pay a minimum tax. And one of the things he said that uh, I think you know probably caught a lot of attention was they're paying less tax uh, than you know school teacher or firefighter. And uh, evidence, the data does show that the very, very high incomes in New York are paying an average of about 8%. So if they paid 20, um, you know, this would be an, an increase over where they are. Although I've read that, you know, the expected revenues, additional revenues over 10 years would only be about 360 billion. It's not going to wash out all the additional spending that he proposed. And the share, the, um, excise tax on share buybacks, he wants to quadruple it. So it was 1%. He wants to bring it up to, to four. Um, I don't think that's really an anti-business agenda because if you look at the infrastructure spending, if you look at the IRA and all of the money going to um, to green energy and and um, the money going into manufacturing, I, I don't think that could be interpreted as an anti-business agenda. Uh, there's, there's a lot, there are a lot of um, incentives too, which is what the Europeans are a little unhappy about. Um, Gail, um, it's some noble aspirations, some that um, will, our viewers will agree with, some will disagree with. But is any of it going to happen, given the fact that um, the Democrats don't control the whole of Capitol Hill anymore? How true is that? I mean, he tried the billionaire tax last year and two of his own um, brought it down, um, Mansion and Cinema. So, um, yeah, it, it doesn't look very likely. It does look like something you could go on the campaign trail with. But it doesn't look like this Congress would probably approve it. Gail, we're going to wrap it up. Thanks so much for joining us. Good to have you with us this morning. Gail Allard, Associate Professor for Economics uh, at IE. Um, Fed Chair Jerome Powell says inflation is beginning to ease, but cautioned in an interview on Tuesday that the fight could take quite a bit of time, his words. U.S. majors whipsawed on Powell's comments, ending the session higher after a cautionary note on Friday's strong jobs report sent them into the red. Powell also repeated inflation isn't fading everywhere and hinted at how long the Federal Reserve could be forced to keep rates elevated. We're seeing disinflation in the goods sector. We're, we're going, we expect to see it in the housing services sector. And that's that's these are the three parts of the of the core PCE inflation index that we look at. There's 56 percent of the economy, which is the rest of the services sector. It's the biggest part, obviously. And we're not seeing disinflation there yet. And that's going to take some time. And I just we we need to be patient. And we think we're going to need to keep rates at a restrictive level for, you know, for a period of time before that comes down.
So come on, what did you learn? You remember I ended the show with absolute disdain that we were going to find out something brand new uh, from Jay Powell in this uh, interview, uh, this speech in Washington. What did you learn? Jeff just said it. He just, he just, the word in his prompts had reiterated and he said repeated. And therein lies the point. It was the same, wasn't it? Did you expect something different after the blockbuster jobs figure on Friday? And I, I'm funny. Amazing. I've read two pieces of commentary. I've had many this morning about it, actually. But two pieces of commentary. One said, oh, he was slightly less hawkish. Another one just said he was slightly more hawkish. He was hawkish. It was the same thing, wasn't it? Anyway, despite that, this is perhaps where the most interesting thing lies. Despite that, the stocks that have the most to lose from a more hawkish Fed were the ones that rallied the most. The momentum trade ignoring the fact that the Fed is staying the course on interest rates and actually the market's going to have to move to the Fed rather than the Fed moving to the market. NASDAQ was up 1.9%. The S&P put on 1.3%. The Dow, eight tenths of 1% higher. What did Treasuries do? Well, let's take a very quick look at the Treasury yields. 4.4 was the yield before the speech. 4.4 is the yield still. 3.653 is the 10-year note yield at the moment. Let's have a look at the dollar crosses. Dollars on the ascendancy again. Well, I say that. Pound was 124 before. Been pottering between 119 and 120 handle as well. And it's the same actually with the euro, to be fair. 106, 107 is where it's traded in recent sessions. Uh, dollar yen just picking up again there. 131.09 from the 129 lows of last week. Asian indices look like this Mostly under a bit of pressure, the cost be putting on 1.3%. But the only calls for European markets look at the moment mildly bullish as we speak. But Karen, um, Société Générale, the yes. numbers are out. We're going to be speaking to Frédéric Goudéa. It que was uh, BNP Paribas yesterday. A lot uh, similar in the numbers today. I think if you look at various parts of the business, but I'll just give you the headlines. We've got a beat effectively on the net profit and the revenue line. The uh, 1.38 billion that's crossed for the final quarter of the year above expectations, 856 million euros was where the market was uh, penciling in their numbers. So we've certainly got a beat on that line. ROTE in the final quarter, 7.8%. In terms of what we've got on the CT1 ratio, 13.5%. The uh, company uh, showing us an operating expense line of 4.6 billion in that final quarter. Also, uh, in terms of the revenue line, I mentioned uh, the beat here, 6.89 billion versus 6.42, where the market was setting up. So you can see how the number has been uh, accelerating beyond those expectations on consensus numbers. The dividend, 1.7 euros uh, per share. But when you just break down a couple of various components here, you've got the share buyback as well that's coming through. But uh, in terms of what they've got on the various different lines, revenue and equity trading, that was down double digits, 11.5% in the final quarter. But FIC trading, again, we saw this at other banks, uh, FIC trading was up in the final quarter, up 55.9%. That is a huge amount in terms of an increase, 577 million. But to something that jumps out, something we've been looking for a lot of those numbers that just hasn't really been coming through, and that is the increased provisioning. So they are concerned about bad loans. And again, we keep on probing about this, and a lot of CEOs are just not talking about stepped up provisioning or serious concerns about bad loans at this point. 
However, we are seeing that in these numbers today where they have increased the level of provisioning. Um, they've hiked that for failing loans, increased uh, close to fivefold to 413 million euros. So that is uh, certainly stepped up uh, provisioning in uncertain economic times. I'll tell you one thing before Jeff jumps in, is that it is a lowly rated bank compared to the one we looked at yesterday. Mm. Uh, we were speaking to the CFO, Lars Machinel of BNP Paribas, and it trades at 0.63 uh, price to book. This one trades at 0.38, so it's right down there. Uh, with the problem children of the European banking sector in terms of profitability, in terms of revenue streams, in terms of, maybe as you mentioned there, the need for higher debt provisioning. Oh, very interesting. I mean, Topgen is one of those big banks in Europe that's heavily involved in asset financing, whether you want a mortgage or whether you want a business loan. Um, Socgen is one of those big providers in the European space, and I think it's fascinating that we're finally starting to see some concerns about fragility in the eurozone economy from this bank because everybody else we've talked to quite frankly up to this point has been dismissing it mm. as a non-issue and not particularly a non-issue for the banks rather than the uh, non-bank financial sector which we know has a huge slice of the lending market now across the eurozone um, even the ecb has been warning about that fact it's somewhat of a red flag isn't it if you think about uh, the good times when uh, emmanuel macron for instance over the years has been re-elected we've been looking at banks like Sokgen for reading on how the market sees the economic fortunes of france and here we have an economy now that's going into uh, more industrial action because of pension reform. The same old challenges around inflation that the rest of Europe is facing and of course uh, weakening in demand with higher interest rates. And the read in here from the numbers we're seeing is that extra money needs to be set aside because people are not going to be able to repay some of those loans and mortgages back. I think that is uh, very interesting as we talk about one of the biggest economies in Europe and a bank that is significant in that space. But uh, conversation will be coming your way exclusively. We have a chat coming up with SoftGen CEO Frederick Odea, 7.30 CET. Still to come on the programme then, Volkswagen sales beat expectations despite troubles in the supply chain. Not bad looking margins either. We're going to talk some more about that when we come back. And for more on President Biden's State of the Union address, check out the Squawk Box podcast. Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends, and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music, and Google Podcasts. Uh, welcome back, everybody. Um, Polycell. 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 Cuprinol. Cuprinol. Dulux. Dulux. Hammerite. Hammerite is one of my favourites. Hammerite. Favorites. Used all of the above and these, many others. These are all products made by Axonobel, the uh, Dutch chemicals company. So Axonobel this morning reported fourth quarter operating income fell on lower volumes, higher costs. Um, let me give you the read here. Basically, higher raw materials prices, freight costs and inflation uh, impacted operating expenses. Revenues higher. The uh, group posted an operating income for the quarter of 103 million euros uh, compared with 205 million a year earlier. The um, group um, giving us a quarterly revenue number of uh, 2.61 billion from 2.4 billion. 
reflecting uh, uh, pricing uh, rising 11 percent, despite volumes falling 9 percent. The revenue consensus was 2.55 billion, so they've beaten on that line here. The uh, board declaring a final dividend of uh, 1 euro 54 cents, basically flat on the fourth quarter of 2021. It's a very interesting proxy on the housing market, on the global economy, and on the state of the speciality chemicals market. Uh, we will catch up with the CEO, uh, Gregor Pouguillem, that interview coming up at 8.10 Central Do European time. you know the funniest time. thing about that is? Which you bit? still called them a chemicals company. Well, it is a chemicals business, isn't yeah. it? Well, it well, since is. when is paint not chemicals? Is paint, a... uh, speciality rust preventative, hammerite paint, I agree. polycell, they it's make a paint fillers. Gu- I know, but you're just going back yeah. to like, it's almost as if nothing's happened in the last 15 years, as if you're still in the, the ICI halcyon days. I know, I know. <laughs> for remember? those of us with very long memories. Very long memories. ICI, of one names. of the great titans of British industry. Mm. Axon Abel, and I yeah. think the CEO at the time was Hans Viers, mm. who we were mm. speaking to, mm. who is also a sometime politician in, uh, he's a grandee of the boardroom in yes. the Netherlands. Yes. He was the one who took over the paints business of ICI mm. in 2008 and mm. then had to justify it for the next five years to the shareholders who didn't like the price. Yes. And it I was a chemicals you. company. It is a chemicals company. It if you think well, about definitely. what goes into paint these days, all the technology, company, innovation on you know, call it, water shielding call and wind shielding, company. chemicals. But Marine the, coatings. Oh, I'll go through their business <sighs> options then. Here we go. Decorative paints. Paint. Automotive special coatings. Paint. Industrial coatings. Paint. Marine protective and yacht coatings. Paint. Powder coatings. Paint. But that's okay. very simplified for what it does. I mean, if you think about it, when it sits in the paint category, it is one of the most sophisticated paints for weatherproofing. So, yeah. I mean, that but, is um, chemicals, right? And polycell is a filler, yes. basically, before you paint. <laughs> so, so, I mean, it's in there. But, but the point is, you know, it's... it's um, Finishing products too, right? This, this has been a merry-go-round story, hasn't it? The, these brands are strong brands, they strong but they brands. change hands on a regular basis, it seems. Have done historically. And it's, it's a little bit like uh, what we've seen around the... Um, uh, the, the consumer goods uh, companies like Unilever and food Reckitt and f- food companies, but, but sort <laughs> of consumer products, yeah, all, yeah, all those kind of things. Um, and they have, they're a strong brand no, name right. and, they, and they change hands on a regular basis. I think the argument we always got into around these businesses was, is it more profitable to be in speciality chemicals or is it more profitable to be in bulk yeah, chemicals yeah. because bulk chemicals for a long time and that was the split were the leader and that's why a lot of these businesses got hived off because speciality well you know one week you want crown the next week you want dulux the next week you want something a little posher yeah but well let's not no, get into the brand i've got one word to say these, to you jeffrey uh, the certain paints require more usage which makes it not very uh, cost effective right well, Which is where Julex had a seat at the table because it's actually very effective. John, John Harvey Jones. John Harvey Jones. That's not one word, by the way. Brilliant. He was amazing. He used man. to love... One of those real kind of Thatcherite industrialists. You know, it? that was a time when people in this country actually wanted to be interested in business. When he had a programme that looked at yeah, specific businesses, businesses and, he, and, and talked yeah. about them. What's, what, that what's that happened now? I don't know, but this is like watching paint dry. <laughs> 
Okay, so shall we move on? Cheers. Oh, markets and sales and earnings rose last year despite yeah, snarls in the supply chain. The earnings margin of 8.1% was towards the top of its forecast, while sales of 279 billion euros beat the 250 billion euros reported a year earlier. Net cash flow came in well below target. Aneta has more for us. Aneta, the headline here is that excess inventory was a big negative, but it was unfinished inventory that they were holding on to. Yes, exactly. I think the numbers are actually a very mixed bag, but uh, it looks like that the market is actually really concentrating on that net cash flow position because that came really substantially um, below that target. It's actually the first quarter as well for the new CEO, Oliver Bloomer, to um, yeah, showcase the numbers for, for the company. And it's, just, it's the first time that he ever misses an, a financial, important financial target. Just back in January, he reiterated that the cash flow position is a very important number for our key metric for Volkswagen because essentially it shows that the company actually can earn money with selling cars. So that showcases that this um, last year was very difficult. They are citing two big reasons. Um, of course, problems with the supply of important primary products, but also um, logistical chains which are not working um, according, uh, not working properly. And that led to lower sales, substantially lower sales last year. They sold, they sold 6% less cars last year than the year before and that is um, reflected in those numbers now we're having in the net cash flow position. Of course one of the big problem, problematic areas is China and Oliver Blumer just uh, recently went to China to visit the country because clearly they do have a major problem here whereas the market is about to grow again at least according to analysts. It remains to be seen whether Volkswagen can actually participate because their comp the competition especially when it comes to electrified vehicles is very big. Tesla and also Chinese competitors are way ahead of Volkswagen. So let me also look at profitability because profitability coming in at 8.1 returns on sales is actually quite good number and also um, kind of meeting analyst expectation. It's ahead of Toyota's, which is of course the closest competitor when it comes to the mass market for Volkswagen. Pretty rules, right? Lovely. Annette, lovely to see you. Thank you very much indeed for that update. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.